everybody, welcome back to another episode of Crypto Coffee Hour. I'm your host, Jeff, here as always with my co-host, Will. Hey guys, back. Um, so this uh, past week, we kind of had some big news in the crypto um, DeFi ecosystem. Andre Cronier, one of the, the kind of like the grandfather of DeFi, um, he decided to leave the space. You know, he decided he made a post with uh, through one of his partners because he actually kind of stealthily deleted his Twitter a little bit ago. Um, but they made a post that said he was effectively stepping away from DeFi and effective kind of immediately. He was like shutting down um, his involvement in several pro- like 25 different protocols that he kind of authored and um, contributed to. And this yeah. had a huge kind of ripple effect in the market because, you know, he was majorly involved in all these different products. Yeah, Jeff, actually, um, you know, there's a lot of commotion on a lot of my kind of, uh, whether it's Twitter or whether it's some of these chat groups I'm in. And, um, you know, the name is very familiar because I want to say that as early as January of this year, so just like two months ago, um, they were really hyping up some of these projects that he was involved in. And so I took a look at some of the coins um, affiliated with those projects, taken like a, a yeah, a 90% kind of dive. Um, so yeah, I, I'm glad that we're making this kind of the focus of, uh, or at least to, to, to start talking about. Uh, do you mind just maybe backtracking a little bit? I mean, why is this guy so significant? I mean, isn't the whole point of DeFi to, um, you know, like everything's open source, so it's all about the community, right? <clears throat> for sure, for sure. Um, you know, the decentralized acquisition aspect of crypto has always been kind of the ethos. But, you know, there's... To, to get there, there has to be builders, right? There has to be people making stuff in the space. And Andre, he was one of the, um, he was one of like the OGs, right? He made pretty much the first kind of consumer facing DeFi product with uh, Urine Finance. Um, he made, he like kind of kicks, kicked off the whole DeFi summer of 2020. And um, since then he has um, contributed and founded several other protocols um, he's was a developer for the Phantom Phantom ecosystem. Um, they just he like just released this much kind of hyped product called Solid Exchange, Solidly. Um, and you know his sudden departure was a major surprise to a lot of people um, because this guy kind of is like a major pillar in the DeFi space just through the sheer numbers of projects he has contributed to and kind of the quality of his work as well as kind of a, um, a giga brain in the space, you know, someone that really um, is pushing the boundaries of these different projects. You know, Jeff, um, when, I, when you, you mentioned uh, solidly, right? Um, my basic understanding is that it's a DEX. It's a decentralized exchange, much like... Um, Kind of the other protocols what was kind of unique about it um what did what was kind of the innovation because sometimes maybe just help our readers or listeners as well there's so many of these iterations so many of these forks right uh was was uh solidly solidex were they forks of existing um you know amms um i mean i can't say i don't know exactly like what their code was but um from what mm-hmm. i understand solidly was um built on phantom and it was essentially, um, you know, it combined the vote escrow model that Curve popularized and kind of had the whole Curve War thing 
um, and kind of combined it with like a Uniswap V2 model. And it had a token that would also, um, you know, distribute some of the fees back to you. Um, that's kind of the, <clears throat> that's kind of the gist of it. And mm. when they, when he launched this product, right? Like he, um, before the whole Sifu fiasco with Daniel Sistagali, they were working together on this product. Um, kind of Daniel was, Daniele was supposed to be the uh, face kind of face forward, uh, marketing side of it. And, Andre was going to just kind of code and build because he has a reputation of being a, you know, just someone that wants to build things. He's not so interested in um, interviews or talking to people. Um, he's more just wants to be like a heads down builder type of guy. So it seemed like a great match at the time. Um, but, you know, with the whole Sifu fiasco, Daniele had to step down and kind of deal with the fallout of that situation. Um, which kind of left Andre to launch this product on his own. Um, and, and a quick recap, and sorry, and just a quick recap for maybe listeners who haven't been following the uh, Sifu saga. We did mention it in a previous um, podcast as well, but um, it, basically, um, you know, someone who is involved, uh, a partner of uh, Danielle in one of his projects, the treasure, I guess, was exposed to be. Uh, someone who had a criminal record. Um, and I think that really just gave Danielle um, kind of a lot of credibility issues, despite the fact that previous to this, he was quite a, um, yeah, I mean, I would say that he was on a level with a lot of the other very revered figures um, in crypto. And yeah, so no this, doubt. yeah. And so this association with Sufu um, gave, you know, his credibility took a hit. Danielle's projects all took a hit. Like stuff like Popsicle Finance, Abracadabra, you know, uh, protocols that we had mentioned in ver our very first episodes. Are, I mean, also, um, you know, again, have suffered. And I guess the fallout from that was that um, Andre was left uh, to fend for himself on this new project. And, and, and maybe that's what kind of got to him. Yeah. So, I mean, like the project yeah. didn't launch completely without problems, right? They had this model mm -hmm. of airdropping a, you know, an mm -hmm. NFT that represented a, a distribution of the tokens. Um, they tried to game gamify it in a way where it was like the top 20 phantom projects that had um, the most total value locked would get the airdrop, which led to, you know, a lot of these native phantom projects missing out because things like VE DAO sprung up where they tried to basically create like an own fork where everyone would just uh, lock in some value and create a really high number, even though the protocol doesn't actually do anything for the sole purpose of getting that um, solid exchange airdrop. Um, hmm. So it created kind of like a, a, some bad feelings among the, some of these phantom protocols and, you know, some people were upset and, you know, because Andre was kind of the only person, I mean, he had a team, but he was kind of the person that was uh, consumer facing side of it. He kind of got the brunt of all these complaints and everything. And, you know, I think he personally just kind of got fed up. You know, he's made a lot of money. He's contributed a ton to the space. And his MO has always been, you know, he wants to remove the human element out of this. He wants to create code that's immutable um, and people can build on top of it. So everything he launched, you know, he said when he launched Solid Exchange, the code was written in the way that he couldn't even make 
edits and um, upgrades to it. It was just it just existed forever, you know. Um, mm. And then the front end would have to be maintained, but the code itself was immutable from that point on. Essentially, he revoked his own ownership of um, mm. the code. So that was always been his mo. He just kind of wants to be in the background coding. So it didn't really. It was a surprise that he left the space, but it also kind of wasn't a surprise in a way. Um, but he'll be back, what, right? Jeff? He'll be back, right? Guy like I mean, that, yeah, I kind of think guys, long. people like him who just want to build, like he probably is looking at the benefits of being an anonymous, you know, NFT anime character instead of having his real name attached to his Twitter account and his developer work. So I wouldn't be surprised if he just became an anonymous, you know, and started working just behind the scenes without making a kind of a mm. public appearance about on what he's doing. Mm -hmm. um, but, but this kind maybe... of like him and Daniele, both these situations kind of belay the whole point of um, centralization versus decentralization, right? Like, even though these are crypto projects, you see people putting faith in these leader types. Um, these like charismatic people that lead these projects and people start investing in them instead of the product itself. You see when the OX Sifu issue happened, all of Daniele's projects took a huge hit that they haven't recovered from. Um, even though, you know, Popsicle Finance and Abracadabra aren't associated with Sifu, just by having that um, reputational mm. damage to Daniele, these other projects, um, you know, mm. tanked in value. And similar here, when Andre left, all his different products suddenly took a huge dive in mm. uh, market price, even though fundamentally they haven't changed. And like Solid X, like he couldn't have made any changes to it if he wanted to, right? Like the yeah. code was already written in stone, essentially. Mm. Um, and that's where you but see like this, this issue where I think the, the ethos of true decentralization is getting lost as more and more people are joining the space ironically um mm, because mm. more and more people it's almost are like in it. yeah they're, yeah, they're in it to make some money right and yeah. i think they're not as um they don't they don't um maybe see the true value in the decentralization aspect of it or at least the market isn't seeing it and kind of reflecting mm. um that in the price yeah well, I really want to get back to then when you talk about we should be focusing on the product and not the person. Um, so the product that he designed, he designed two things. He designed Solidly and Solidex. Is that right? He designed two. Um, but those were both his projects. And um, they're, they're the same thing, yeah. They're the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Or and then he, I mean, he also designed. There's two tokens. But there are two tokens. There's, there's right? two there's tokens. The there's like the solid token and then there's like the sex token. Um, but yeah. That the solid X, I mean, the sex token is run by a different um, group of people that they're kind of also handing off the front end of solid exchange to. Um, okay, yeah, it's a little, okay. it's a little confusing, but he's also behind things like Keeper Network. Um, he's behind Yearn, obviously. He's behind um, like several okay. different projects. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But what, to, in your mind, what was the innovation behind? you know, solidly um, and solid X over. Well, I think the, the, the innovation yeah. was really just um, 
building on top of that vote escrow model that Curve mm. and Convex had made so successful um, and seeing if that could be combined with um, a Uniswap and a and kind of the Ohm 3.3 model as well. Oh, my just God. Building something. Oh, my kind God. Of, uh, yeah, just building. Like we said, these are all everything in DeFi are these little money Lego pieces. And it was basically trying to push, um, you know, some experimental new new DeFi uh, can, can, product. Can you can, can you share kind of a very um, high level kind of what is the vote escrow model? Um, so the vote escrow model is essentially locking in your tokens for a set amount of time and being rewarded um, through yield um, proportionally to that. Right. So with curve and convex, you know, you can lock in your curve for four years, which in crypto is a long, 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 long time. Right. But the benefit of that is you get higher yield. Um, and it also, you know, if the if it's designed well, um, it should incentivize a, kind of a long and healthy ecosystem for that project to thrive in because there's no constant downward selling pressure because the token becomes relatively illiquid with so much of the supply locked in for such a long time um mm. okay. so okay. you know you can usually with vote escrow models you can select the amount of time you want to lock it in for so four years for curve is kind of the longest but you know you can choose like one year you can choose like 18 months mm. and you would be rewarded kind of um okay. proportionately so, to so, how so, so it's a way it. It's a way to um, stabilize the price or to avoid selling pressure because a lot of these tokens, my understanding is it's inflationary. You earn the tokens by, um, let's say, staking your LP. Uh, right, token. right. So uh, it's... You, you earn the token by through some other means, but then that token needs to have value. And if people are continuing to monetize or try to turn it into fiat or turn it into stablecoin, it really defeats the purpose, I guess. Um, so, you know, escrow or vote escrow is a way for you to uh, take that selling pressure off for four years, potentially. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Hmm. But then, okay, okay, that's... Uh, but then when I look at those tokens, I look at the sex token, I look at the solid token, I mean, they've been under selling pressure from the very beginning. Um, yeah, and, and it's also highly speculative, right? Like, there was yeah. no guarantee that this would be a successful model, which... You know, it mm. still remains to be seen, but with the price action so far, it seems like it's not as successful as people had, uh, um, had uh, hoped, right? Um, yeah. And the because launch like, also wasn't without problems, too. Um, yeah, because I go back to because you also mentioned there's elements of Olympus Dow in here as well, right? Mm -hmm. the, uh, so I think about Olympus Dow, we talked about how game theory dictates the three comma three uh, outcome or decision tree where you're supposed to... Uh, you know, everybody is supposed to be in it together. You know, they're supposed to hold the token, not sell out. Um, but that didn't work out so well with, you know, at least the, the price action on, on all the forks, on all the home forks now. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess we're still trying to figure out what's the best way to collectively get people to do something that's not selfish, you know, that's uh, in the best interest of everybody. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah. I think it remains to be seen. Um just mm. how the ohm experiment will still go will still uh, mm. go on because some people a lot of people have has written it off just because the price is so low but they still have you know 
close to half a billion dollars in their treasury. They have, um, you know, a lot of products down the line and they have someone in OX Zeus who's extremely smart and has an incredible vision of what Ohm can be. So, you know, I think Ohm still has um, some juice in the tank. I'm sure they can sure. do some interesting stuff in the future. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah. you know, all this kind of is to say, like, I wanted to talk about this because we saw the price fluctuate so much with these centralized figures suddenly, you know, either leaving the space or something happening to their reputation and having their products, you know, kind of uh, suffer because of that, right? And it brings up kind of the main argument that Bitcoin maximalist people have against the wider Web3 space, which is mm. that like no matter how good these new crypto products are, um, none of them can match the true decentralization power of Bitcoin. And to some degree, that's true, right? Even with Ethereum, probably the, the second most decentralized um, network right now. With if Vitalik suddenly, I saw a funny tweet that was like, "What if Vitalik suddenly got a girlfriend?" You know, has the market price that <laughs> in? Like, these are it's it's kind of funny, but it's true, right? Like, what if something happened to Vitalik? What if he loses interest? What if he tries to do something else? Like, how would Ethereum react to that? Whereas Bitcoin is something that doesn't have to deal with that because it has that kind of um, sure. yeah, that Satoshi founding myth okay. story, right? Where he's just gone now. Um, yeah, but let's let's talk. Yeah, let's focus on that. I've been thinking about this as well. Obviously, since um, you know the price action on a lot of the altcoins have been oh, disappointing. Um, you go back to you know DeFi is it's very cool. I mean, you know Andre, super smart guy, Danielle, um, you know being really creative and finding. And I think I was one of the first um, you know during one of our first podcasts saying that I found a lot of similarities between you know, DeFi and traditional finance, at least in the space that I was dealing with, with fixed income trading, um, you know, finding where the highest yields are, trying to find good risk reward trades, um, you know, looking at different, you know, looking at different protocols, like looking at different products or different asset classes and trying to find that same juice, right? I mean, it's all, uh, I find a lot of similarities, but at the same time, um, the traditional financial markets have been criticized for being overly engineered sometimes you know, with structured products, you know, CDOs. Um, and the I, I'm almost afraid when we talk about Lego block, right? You know, it's so interesting, Jeff. It's like when things are going well, right? You think about words like Lego block, and you're like, oh man, it's so awesome. We're building new new and great things. But then, you know, when things like this happen, price action. Yeah, sometimes um, it feels they're like more like Jenga blocks. <laughs> yeah, it's like, idea that we're building this much. I mean, shouldn't we just very simply say, you know, this is, you know, I'm, I'm lending money, you know, or I'm borrowing money at this interest rate. That's it. You know, I don't, I don't need you to do anything else with that money on the back. Sometimes we, you know, we hunker down. And of course, that's the extreme that I don't think we should go to either. But at the same time, it's like if it takes that much to explain a protocol and where the yield comes from, you know, on the one hand, it's like, wow, that's really creative. But on the other hand, you're like, hmm, you know, maybe we should be a little bit careful because we don't know what could be happening. Right. Uh, we don't know what could look, you know, like they say, the butterfly effect. Right. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm not trying to create, you know, uh, a lot of uncertainty here. But I also want to say that maybe this is where, you know, you take another look at simpler um, kind of uh, coins or 
kind of the proven coin like Bitcoin. Um, no, you're absolutely right. And a part of yeah. what is, um, you know, part of why it's good to get educated on this stuff is to understand the multiple levels of risk you're exposing yourself to. Um, you know, you find a protocol that's going to give you some sort of APY if you deposit into their vault. You want to be able to read the documentation and make sense of where that yield is coming from, right? You want to know what underlying protocols they're using to be to getting their yield um and you know the layers of risk that you're undertaking when you're using some of these projects it doesn't mean that you should just avoid them altogether but it's a good reason not to have all your eggs in one basket in case something goes wrong because when you're playing with these experimental um products and technologies right there's a high chance that something may go wrong um but it doesn't mean that um doesn't mean that it's just unsafe to to participate in because it can also be very very lucrative right but mm. you want to know the risks that you're what you're getting yourself involved in mm. well let's talk about um luna again right um i know they've had uh quite a bit of capital injection the treasury seems safe um but the argument that i heard recently um from someone who's a bit skeptical was that um you know if we get an event where uh, Luna starts dumping, um, just the price of Luna starts dumping, um, then the whole kind of mechanism where you're supposed to, um, you know, and let's say UST is trading below par, then you're going to be, um, you know, the, the way the mechanism works is that you're going to be burning UST um, in order to mint more Luna. Uh, but then there's downward pressure on Luna. So nobody wants to hold it. Um, and the arbitrage only works if you're able to sell Luna at par, you know? Um, and so if you're not able to sell, if there's no buyer on the other end, because Luna is, is dropping, um, you know, that whole mechanism could, at least for a, um, you know, in a very stressed scenario, not work out. So well, I think um, for Luna in, in particular, we talk about all their dApps and other um, protocols being built on top of it, that work in concert with helping the peg and everything stay together um and that works with the luna token as well right you have things like kujira where you can participate in liquidation bids so if luna is going down in price and mm. it's triggering liquidations on anchor you can bid on these liquidations and pick up luna at a discount um mm. and a lot of people participate in these markets and all these help um stabilize the price mm. of luna itself um and also mm. luna the staking mechanism in luna takes i think 28 days to unstake so it's actually relatively illiquid too so it's not um a thing that will i think you know it'll be hard for everybody to kind of make a bank run and try to sell their luna because so many people participate in the um in the validator network that just you know you if you want to sell you still have to wait those 28 days for your luna to be fully withdrawn and usable um and all that kind of helps keep luna you know relatively um stable in my opinion sure sure yeah i mean as much as i pointed out kind of these extreme scenarios um you know we can't guard against every unforeseen circumstance right um you know and i think about a traditional finance um you know sometimes things you know, happen that really just are really like a black swan event. It's outside the scope. 
And um, this is why, you, you know, you need to be prudent and part of trading or investing is very much about risk reward. Um, and so you, uh, but I think what happened with kind of recent DeFi, kind of, I, I don't know if you're using the word fiasco or just, uh, you know, we've had some, um, uh, you know, had some disappointing price action. Um, it does push you to be a little bit more selective in the projects that you're involved in. And, um, you know, maybe the chasing around the different, you know, um, networks or the different protocols, the different airdrops. Um, maybe, yeah, uh, maybe some of it is um, you need to put that into proper context. Um, and so this goes back to, well, you know, how do, what's the right balance, right? Um, you know, do we own, you know, we own Bitcoin, and, but it's not yielding that much. It's not that sexy, right? You, you know, I, I think the highest yield in another podcast we talked about, you can put Bitcoin in Badger Dow and Maybe yeah, Badger's like really low right now because it's yeah. with the curve um, price action too because every, they get paid in curve and convex. So Badger is also, uh, okay. um, Badger yields are really low on BTC right now. Yeah, so so there you go. But maybe it's not such a bad thing. You know, maybe it is supposed to be, you know, as they say, um, Bitcoin is your exit from the financial system. You know, it's, uh, you know, you're, um, you're you're able to hang on to something that, is not inflationary, um, and it is something that will grow with the ecosystem. Um, that's kind of how I, I look at uh, Bitcoin. It's um, you know, if we believe what we're building right now is valuable, um, Bitcoin will support um, this ecosystem and and have a yeah, and it's because it's limited in supply. So maybe yeah, maybe the the right you know the trade really is to. Uh, to be a bit more, I don't know, less greedy or less short-term greedy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like we don't talk about Bitcoin a lot because a lot of people think it's unsexy, right? They call it like a boomer coin or like the digital cool. rock. Um, <laughs> but fundamentally, like this decentralization aspect of Bitcoin is a major feature. Uh, mm. We see now with global instability um, on the rise, like sure. Bitcoin is gaining more and more traction among notable people as a legitimate asset to hold um, either for inflationary fears or regulatory fears or fears of just government over, um, you know, overstepping and, you know, mm. using a lot of their um, wielding their power kind of um, in an unjust way uh, to target people financially. Like all these are becoming real reasons to own Bitcoin. And maybe the price action right now isn't super reflective of it just because macro events are making these kind of risky assets a little bit um, scarier to hold. But people are becoming aware that like Bitcoin represents this true alternative to um, participating in the system where before we had no choice but to participate in the financial systems that the governments of whatever country we live in impose on us. Um, Bitcoin mm. is kind of the first real alternative to that where um, anybody globally can own it um, I guess unless you're living in a country that's hard to have a fiat on-ramp like China but even if you're in China like I know a lot of people in China that still have Bitcoin right once you have your private keys and your Bitcoin you have it right converting mm -hmm. it to the fiat of your like local currency is kind of a different story but the government can't just you know somehow digitally take that Bitcoin away from you um, mm -hmm. so you know, these are all real, real features that people are starting to understand and wake up to um, that are mm. important, you know, that actually have a use case in our world. 
Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, you know, war and, you know, we mentioned in the last podcast, um, continues to, um, you know, continues to drag on and and the longer it drags on, the more human toll it takes. Um, And so I think we we need to be sensitive to, you know, what's going on in that part of the world and, and, yeah, the damage that it's doing to real lives. And I'm not saying, we're not here saying that crypto is the end all and it fixes all, you know, evils in human nature. Um, but I do think that, and what Jeff was emphasizing just now, is indeed, um, you know, crypto is something that people will now be more, um, yeah, it's, it's something I think will be more brought to the uh, mainstream consciousness. Um, you know, what does it mean to have custody of your own wallet now, of your own assets? Um, because we, you know, maybe the government is um, kind of making us question things that we took for granted. Right. Uh, I think... It, um... You know, I think as people get more interested in crypto, like the decentralization aspect has to become more and more um, emphasized, I feel. You know, we're yes. seeing now just how centralized some of these products are, either because they have like one charismatic leader that's propping everything up or because they are, um, you know, truly like centralized services, right? They A lot of their nodes are controlled by, the, the company that you know is making the product and it's not a truly like open and democratic um network and you mm. also see things where you know it's come out that um coinbase has disabled the accounts of a bunch of russian um mm. russian users um it's come out that you know metamask has um yeah what's up with that been- yeah i know I thought it was supposed to be permissionless, MetaMask. Right. So know? MetaMask, <laughs> like when it started, it was, right? But it made this pivot in like I think 2018 or something where it became closed source. Um, you know, we kind of talked briefly about how MetaMask, like they make a ton of money with their swap feature, but the money is all all goes just goes back to their parent company consensus. Um, and now it's come out that, you know, they I, f- I forget which major bank has just kind of a big stake in Infura, which is another service that Consensus owns that um, is kind of core to MetaMask's function as well. And, you know, I, I don't remember if it was true or not, but there was a lot of noise being made about how, um, you know, MetaMask was banning people from certain countries. Um, and, you know, these are all things that are real problems, right? Like the state of crypto right now is not as decentralized as it tries and pretends to be. And there has to be these better alternatives coming out um, that truly stick to that ethos. And like the the whole Satoshi's vision meme, um, I think still needs to be, um, needs to be kind of held, held up, right? It needs to mm. be valued to have a truly decentralized network that is anti-fragile, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, and again, one of our first episodes, and I, I think even before we started recording this, Jeff, I mean, when we first started having conversations, you may recall, one of the things that I was most excited about, and I keep emphasizing to, you know, my friends and, you know, uh, people who want to learn more about, you know, crypto, I always use the word decentralization, because um, maybe that's the social scientist in me, where I feel like that is, that's where the power is, that it has the power to really reorganize the way, you know, social construct really has the potential to change the way we interact with one another, our relationship with institutions, um, the ability for us to really, um, you know, more directly do things, 
right? Uh, whether it's interact with the protocol, interact with their favorite artist, um, or whether it's to get information from a, a social media platform. I mean, it's just much more direct. Um, and I think decentralization we're also seeing now um, is, I mean, if we go back to centralization, right? If we go back to Web2, where we rely on the tech giants and everything, then, I mean, yeah, well, all we did is we just, I don't know, like I kind of feel like we go back to square one, which is why I'm so, I was a bit disappointed again by seeing um, how much there is this, still this little bit of, kind of idol worship. I don't know if I'm using that word correctly on some of these figures. I mean, these are revered figures and, and, and I think we should pay attention to them. But I think, I mean, at the end of the day, Jeff, code is code. Like the stuff that, you know, Andre created, I mean, even um, Do Kwan, you know, our, you know, founder of Terra mentioned that even if the government wanted him to shut down like Anchor, he, he wouldn't be able to because it's, um, it's code. It's out there. It's on everybody's. Uh, it's decentralized. It's on everybody's uh, computers, and so uh, people can decide to just you know interact. And the code, the smart contract, behaves in such a way that it's run, um, and so that interaction happens. And it's yeah. I mean, is that it, is that a fair statement that there's actually very little control that the founders have over a lot of these projects, unless they choose to, unless they design it in such a way they continue to maintain control. Well, I think like I think Andre mm-hmm. and um, you know like Doquan, at least right now in crypto, are more of the exception um, than the rule. As much as I would like it to not be the case, I just think too much of crypto is still very centralized. And we've kind of touched upon this pre- in like older episodes before, where you know there kind of does need to be a balance right like if you're making new groundbreaking products you kind of need it to be more centralized where you can quickly make ideas and changes and not just have it in this clumsy hey let's all vote for this kind of method of improving the product um so there has to be some sort of balance Mm. and crypto is still in the early stages so i understand why a lot of these projects are still quite centralized um but you know that has to change in the future and i think that kind of starts with the consumer, right? The retail investor, they have to start valuing that decentralization aspect more than they do now. Um, I think for a lot of users, they just don't really care, right? Because the number <laughs> goes up and that's kind of all they, they kind of care about. Um, well, we're but, so used to traditional finance. We're so used to just trading stocks. People are trading this stuff like they trade stocks. That's, that's, you know, that's the sense I've gotten. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely the case, you know, people are taking advantage of the opportunity financially, and that it makes total sense for them to do that. Um, but as we kind of see with these macro events happening, and with, um, you know, these centralized institutions bowing to regulatory pressure, um, shutting people out, um, the decentralization part of crypto, we have to have a uh, a decentralization renaissance i think like people have to Mm. have to start caring about that more than they do now and that Mm. has to be the emphasis of the projects that want to be successful long term Mm. Mm. um you know another friend was saying that um you know he thinks crypto winter um is oh i mean uh, winter is a little bit extreme but you know price action that doesn't go up all the time is great you know, because it forces us to slow down. Uh, and actually, what they say is that developers, when the price action is going up, they stop developing. You know, I mean, this is anecdotal, but it's like they start trading the markets, you know, they, they get impatient. Um, 
And so I, I do think that, um, you know, prices that are always going up distract us. Just like prices are always going down also discourages us, right? But I think, you know, um, kind of coming down a little bit, I just find myself um, thinking much more deeply about this space when the markets are, you know, when it, markets are doing what it's doing. Um, you know, as opposed to, I think before, you just FOMO, you know, pushes you into action. It's like every day, if I didn't do something with my wallet, right. like every day, you if feel I like you're missing out on opportunity <laughs> cost. But in reality, what were you doing? Did that actually contribute or build anything to your understanding of the ecosystem? To have, you know, where, yeah, I mean, or, so, so to me, it's like, you know, crypto is, um, it's such an amazing thing. Like I, I keep telling people, like, um, study it. Uh, take some time, absorb it. Don't be so quick to take action right away. You know, so many people. So, um, you know, I've had so many conversations where, you know, either uh, after I, I make an explanation, right, the a few quick responses is, uh, okay, how do I make money off of this? Um, you know, you just spent five minutes explaining to me about NFTs. Okay, where do I go now? You know, how do I, you know, and of course, I, I appreciate that. And I, I understand that that is a natural reaction. Right. Um, but that's but almost then, a book for crypto, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> come for the making the money, but like actually stay, <laughs> the meme is like, stay for the tech because, you know, once the price is down, you kind of have to stay for the tech. That's hilarious. I, I actually haven't heard that before. Come for the money, but stay for the tech. Um, yeah, that's the hook. Sure. Sure. And then, and then most people are like, no, I don't really care about the tech. I'm not here to build. I'm here to just make money. Right. <laughs> um, it's uh, but then yeah, but that's um, like you said, right? In the in the bear yeah. market, those kind of voices yeah. die down, um, <laughs> and yeah. the people left are the ones that are either still really trying to learn, or uh, or probably like have a gambling problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we can laugh about this, Jeff, during this, uh, <laughs> you know, d during kind of these uh, circumstances. But you know, um, another response I sometimes get from people is that you know when they think about blockchain they take a very web two perspective to it. Uh, and I mean that like, okay, so how do we like, you know, um, monetize the technology, you know, uh, how do we, you know, basically, um, you know, sell this technology in such a way that basically they can, you know, by virtue of the fact that they're early entrants or they're early investors, they can lie back later um, and then just collect the dividends, collect the, the income, the fee stream. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not how you think about this space. You know, I've always said, I said, the whole idea of Web3 is you participate, right? The, the idea of you at, at the very early stage getting in early, right? And basically, you know, taking up a stall, right? And then, you know, making money from that um, and trying to monetize the technology or monopolize it. I said, dude, I said, everything's open source. You know, like that's not, you know, that's not, that's not the right approach. And then you can just kind of tell they kind of lose interest because they're like, well, then, you know, dude, I mean, you know, I, I want to, I thought this would be like, you know, um, some secret sauce, right, to make money. But in reality, you're saying, oh, it's this, you know, um, you got to participate, you got to build. And like the people who build the most are the ones who get the most out of the protocol. Like if you contribute, right, you know, you get token rewards, airdrops, um, you know, you got to build the community. So, I mean, I, is, am I just not explaining it right, Jeff? Like when I talk about this, like what, you know, when people get turned off when I talk no, I think you're right. Like, I think <laughs> participation is key in this space. Um, obviously, there's VCs and everything that, you know, get in early and then do some seed rounds and sit back and watch their money just get print more money. 
um, those people exist in the space, but even they like have value add, right? They have um, people in the industry that can help all these um, startups grow. They have people that can like reflect on the tokenomics of the startup and just kind of advise them. Um, so they're not like always a net negative, even though some people in the space would kind of disagree. Um, mm. But I think ultimately it does come down to participation because as you participate, you learn more, um, you find nuances in the different products and the competitors and what they're doing. Um, why is this one slightly different or, you know, why is it more advantageous for you to, you know, be putting your money here? And as you kind of pick those details up, it opens up the possibilities. Um, that's kind of where the money comes in later, right? Like as you're learning these things and finding these different niches, um, it really just gives you a chance to participate in um, products that could just be very lucrative. And you, mm. it's not really a thing where you can just say like, hey, let me like throw my money into these X, Y, and Z and see what happens. Um, because mm. a lot of these projects, like, you know, they require you to do stuff, to interact with them, to really take mm. full advantage of what they're trying to offer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, another conversation, just think back to where, um, a friend again, was very impatient, also thinking about, I mean, in a good way, right? Like, oh, you described this exciting technology. How do I get involved? And he's like, after like, you know, reading three articles. He's like, well, I'm, I'm not sure I can do anything with it. I don't know how to get connected. I don't know how to get involved. I don't know what, you know, is my edge in this. And I was just like, dude, just hold your horses. I mean, like, you know, take some more time to appreciate this space. Um, and, you know, uh, you will find, you know, an area that you could be interested in. Like, for example, I, I think I mentioned last podcast, like, um, as I'm marinating on these ideas, um, I've started realizing that crypto, um, you know, rather than oh, you, you can make money quickly from it, but really, it's a, it's really, it really changes um, the incentive kind of mechanisms, uh, or it very directly affects how people behave, right? You know, airdrops affects how people would behave. Um, you know, certain protocols, you know, staking, you know, changes the way people behave, and it's a very direct way. It, it, it hits your wallet literally, you know, um, and so. And then I was just thinking, all right, well, all these tokens are kind of like these creative ways to get people to kind of, you know, shift their energy and attention somewhere. So, um, so, so my friend who's working on climate change, for example, I'm like, wow, that's a really big issue. Um, you know, I never thought about, you know, how we can address climate change through a way that really addr uh, addresses people's um, kind of uh, incentives to take carbon out of the air you know, to buy carbon credits. Well, how can we use blockchain or how can we use Web3? How can we use tokenization to get people excited about taking carbon out of the air? And so the way this friend was explaining it to me, it was very, yeah, I mean, it's very, very inspirational. But then the next step is for me to internalize that and say, okay, is this something that I could see myself spending more time, you know, um, you know is this, uh, can I see myself? Am I convinced, right? This is the solution. And maybe this method isn't the solution, you know, um, maybe there's some other mechanism, just like we said, like with Olympus Dow, I mean, it worked for a while, right? Olympus Dow, it, it worked for like six months or nine months, getting people to buy, you know, these tokens that were like three, four, five times the value of the treasury. I mean, in retrospect now, it's like, maybe that wasn't such a great mechanism that you did something incentivizing people to like hold their coins, you know, for a while, the three comma three, you know, method held people together. But then after a while, it didn't 
So now the next step is to find a robust methodology. Um, so that's kind of how I look at this space as well. Like, um, you know, the, uh, the the climate change project, I'm saying, maybe the first iteration isn't the right one, but there will be another iteration that will be yeah. more robust. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're totally right. The space is constantly changing and evolving. All these things we talk about are constantly, you know, um, being iterated upon and we're not we're not done right we're not we're right in the beginning of this whole process so we have a long ways to go in terms of these products becoming um, mainstream and like useful in kind of a conventional sense um but it'll get there and i think that's the benefit of learning and trying to understand the space right now is when that time comes you're well positioned to take advantage of the technologies that are being built right now yeah, it's awesome. Um, how's um, just maybe a quick aside? Um, just I'm I'm curious. Like uh, NFTs, um, have you been uh, a bit more involved? Um, NFTs and the mint. Yeah, process I mean, I'm still or, paying attention, yeah. but now you know the NFT. It's funny because as this market is turning into kind of a months long bear, um, <laughs> the NFT market is is starting to suffer too. A lot of the blue chip NFTs are still doing pretty well, but you know, the new NFT products, they might have a day or two of, um, you know, the, fl the floor price pumping up after the mint as it's all hyped. Um, but now there's just, it's just hard. A lot, not a lot of people are buying NFTs right now. Um, and I think like for a good reason, because, you know, when the market's so uncertain, you know, people are just concerned about kind of protecting their capital. And mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to justify in these conditions spending ether that you know <laughs> will probably you know that people still consider very sound money right like they call it ultrasound yeah. money um <laughs> and spending that on essentially a, a potentially worthless jpeg right um mm. so the nft market is taking kind of a hit and it's it's kind of funny because unlike the ico market of 2017 like a lot of these nfts are just like basically going directly to zero like the floor price might say something, but if no one's buying, you know, you're it's just basically it, it went to zero without you even having a chance to sell it, you know. Just just like my solid tokens, right? Going from like yeah. <laughs> just like my sex tokens, uh, yeah. just like my uh, time wonderland. Um, but but let's talk about this. So, do you mind sharing with the readers, just um, or our listeners? Um, you know, what are some of the things you've learned um, just through your process of, you know, investing minting NFTs? Like, what are the things that um, makes a good, you know, collection um, just in your kind of limited time playing with it? Because uh, before, I think you were you also admitted you were very unfamiliar with this space. Um, yeah, but I'm what, still, uh, like, still learning about yeah. this space. Um, but yeah. what I see now is, like, the, the blue chip NFTs, they are, you know, they're still just constantly kind of surprising me. Um, you know, the, the amount of money people are willing to pay for a punk or, a, or an ape, even in these bear market conditions is still staggering, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know if we'll see repeats of those kind of collections because part of their appeal was they were so early and it's kind of like owning a piece of crypto history. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think what's more interesting now is people that are trying to build things on top of these nfts where they're treating these assets like punks and um board apes 
as basically how one would treat almost like a house or like a mm. you know like a, a piece of a, like a Picasso or something like major you know something that's mm. um you know they're building things like uh liquidity pools for nfts they're building um you know like fractionalization of nfts where you can make a vault of several different nfts or just one nft and then create a fractionalized a fractionalized um tokens for that that anyone can kind of buy and sell um so all these th these things are being built and experimented on like everything else right like we don't know if you know if someone builds a liquidity pool for punks and for whatever reason if punks you know suddenly loses all its value like what would happen to that protocol would it um you know we don't really know the cascading effects of these kind of things either that's kind of part of the experiment that is crypto um and i think with these newer products right now it's just so hard to kind of judge what will kind of be a good um what will like be a good nft mint um, but generally I would say like, you don't want to, you don't want to go for a product that's obviously, um, a cash grab, right? Like if they're charging like 0.2 ETH for a mint or, or more then um, you know, there, there was a kind of a egregious one recently called voxel mons that were charging mm -hmm. three ether for a mint and they raised like $70 million and their assets were just kind of really cheaply made and shitty and, you know, I think they hired just like a Fiverr person to design a bunch of them. Um, mm. So, you know, you want to be careful with how they conduct themselves and if they are actually trying to build a legitimate community um, going forward. But I think at this stage, it's just really difficult because the appeal of NFTs is for that status symbol, right? And the status kind of comes from these old products that have already established themselves that are really expensive and it's hard to emulate the success of mm. things like punks or apes at this mm. stage i think you're talking about a um you know from like an image standpoint or from like like a picture standpoint what about this concept of nfts in the metaverse right we were talking about how nfts is like property you know in the metaverse um and that's a different category right you know owning yeah for sure shirt, and that's still, owning that's land. still in the nascent yeah. spaces stages right like mm. owning land and you know having plots in decentraland or um sandbox and those kind of things are still highly highly speculative because at this stage not a lot of people use them you know um i think decentraland has a daily active actual like, user base of just like in the hundreds of people so it's kind of a big empty space right now. And all that pricing is still very speculative. Um, and it's kind of a bet on how it will look in the future. Um, I don't want to make any major predictions because while I think the metaverse will be huge, it's just such an open question about what will it look like. Um, so many people are trying to kind of stake a claim in what the metaverse will be. And there's like legitimate questions that aren't... Um, really being addressed right like do we really need land scarcity in the metaverse where it's unlike mm -hmm. the physical world it's like not constrained by those kind of things um mm -hmm. so those all remain to be seen right these are all super speculative um assets um even more so than regular crypto in my opinion and mm -hmm. if you are a major like believer in a certain 
part of the metaverse, then maybe it might be worth your time to, you know, look into that um, specifically. But for me, I just think that the stage is too early for mm. there to be a clear winner um, in what it will be. Because right now, like if you ask five people what the metaverse is, like five crypto <laughs> native people what the metaverse is, you'll get five different answers. You know, uh, yeah. people just still aren't really sure what it's going to look like. And um, I think I think at this stage, it's just uh, still, you know, super speculative. And it's probably like there are uh, projects out there that are going to be huge um, down the line. But it's just extremely difficult to identify. And like 99% of these NFT projects in five years are going to be worthless, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's interesting how you were saying that. Do we really need uh, limited land? Because it's we're, we're not under the same constraints, the same physical constraints as the real world. Um, I just had a conversation um, recently with a, uh, an architect friend of mine who also was saying that actually, um, first of all, architects will have an enormous role to play in the metaverse. Um, because, you know, in a way, they're designing our experiences there. So uh, there's a reason why the physical world looks the way it looks, right? Because there's rules of nature, rules of gravity, rules of physics that they need to pay attention to. Um, you know, a window is there because you need to let light in, you let air in. A door is, uh, you know, there because for security purposes, you need an elevator, you know, here. Um, but I guess in the physical world or in the metaverse, none of these physical rules apply, right? There's no there you don't need to yeah a, a, a door there for, i mean the door could just serve a purpose of just i don't know it's visual but it's business for a utilitarian purpose um so then it's like well what is that going to look like which you know really got me thinking because i'm like you're right i mean if i'm gonna go to starbucks to have coffee with my friend um i'm just gonna go to starbucks if i just go to a virtual starbucks i mean what's the point right if it's just the same thing but it's just right. like you and i are yeah but if it could be better than that, if it could be just something, I, I don't want to know. Like my coffee is floating. I don't know. Like am I not seeing yeah, it's, now? It's, it's, like, it's not bound so, by physics, right? It can be anything. Yeah. 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 So I, I just don't know the answer. And this is, goes back to kind of like these DeFi projects as well. We don't know what the answer is. Um, like, what is it going to look like? Is it going to be something that we enjoy being in? Well, I'd like to think that we human beings progress in a direction that we you know, hopefully want it to, right? I mean, it, it aligns with our interests and things. So, um, yeah, so that's that's really cool, Jeff, that you, you, you mentioned that as well, uh, you know, about the land. I and, just think uh, it's yeah, so, so interesting with the metaverse. It's like everybody knows it's huge, right? Like every yeah. major tech company is essentially like making some sort of metaverse play. Obviously, Facebook is the big obvious one with their change to meta. Um, but you also have, you know, the Microsoft acquisition of uh, Blizzard, Activ Activision Blizzard, that they're going to try to pivot into their metaverse place somehow. Um, mm. Mm. And like all these companies are kind of preparing and gearing up for what they think is the next major, um, major thing. But no one mm. still really knows what it's going to be, right? The crypto metaverse is going to look very different from uh, Facebook's metaverse, which is probably going to look very different from Microsoft's metaverse. Um, <laughs> so no one really knows like what it what it's going to be. And you can speculate on these different land things. But ultimately, if no one is in your metaverse, even if it's like a major big built out thing, then it doesn't really matter. Right. Like we see in crypto, one of the biggest important things is the network effect. It's why Bitcoin is so successful. It's why Ethereum is so successful. It's because people are using these things. Um, 
And I just yeah. think the metaverse is something that's still so, so early in its nascent stages that we just have no clear idea of what it's going to be because it's so dependent on the network effect to really be successful. I think that's a good, uh, good spot for us to uh, end and have our users or have our listeners kind of mull as well. Um, yeah. And I feel like the last few podcasts have been talking about kind of bigger picture things and maybe that's just a reflection of what's on our minds these days, which is good. I mean, chasing the, the price action. Um, we, uh, yeah, we kind of be a bit more reflective. Uh, obviously, we're still long-term bulls, um, you know, on Bitcoin, Ethereum, yeah. you know. Definitely um, a permable, I think. Permable. Okay, good, good. It almost have to be, right? <laughs> you know, with, uh, in the space and knowing what we know. I mean, I always tell my friends, like, no, I, I try to speak in extremes, but, you know, I always tell them, like, dude, uh, we're so early in this. Um, this is going to change the way we, we live. Stop trying to fit crypto into the real world. Start thinking about how you're building the digital world. You know, and so, <laughs> um, awesome, dude, Jeff. Thanks, uh, thanks a lot for, um, you know, I, I think especially the the news about DeFi and Andre and stuff. Um, you know, that that's some negative thing, some negative news that we needed to address. But um, I, I think we've come to the conclusion that we do every time that there is plenty other stuff going on. And I would say I would encourage our listeners not to focus just on kind of the headline news that you know may, may get you down. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's always a great time talking to you. We'll, um, yeah, talk to you soon. Cool, man. Yeah.